Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 43 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Seven Churches, Part 3. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. Welcome to New Life's prophetic class. We will be in Revelation chapter 2 today as we're looking at uh, the church in these days that we're living in. How does the church act? How does does the church react uh, with all that's going on around us? As we're looking at the churches, the reason we're looking at the seven churches in Revelation is because the Scriptures gives us an idea of what the church will look like. And if you go to, as I've said before, Matthew chapter 13, uh, Jesus gives us an idea of the churches and what the church will look like in the world. Are you with me? He says that there's a sower that sows seed. That's talking about an individual, you and me, in the church, in the world. Uh, What we have to look out for is for the enemy to come and snatch and steal away from us the Word of God that's been sown into us as individuals. Then he goes right into the next parable, which is the wheat and the tares, which is not about an individual, it's about the congregation, the congregation of believers. And um, I warn people who say, well, I don't have to go to church. I can just sit at home. And uh, my warning is you're a wheat and a tear if you want to apply the scripture. And uh, so that scripture is about a congregation that comes together. You're going to have wheat and you're going to have tares. And we know that the born-again experience, before you start pointing fingers, uh, the Scriptures goes on to say that we invite in everybody, both good and bad. Uh, there the churches. We still have a, I'm going to try to do a teaching perhaps on uh, when do we invite uh, gays and transgenders to church? Would anybody be interested? It's a non-controversial topic, I know. <laughs> which I love, and uh, but I'm going to hit that one a little little harder one of these days so we can know, because we've got to understand as a church, we invite everybody in, both good and bad. And uh, uh, so we've, we've, I would like to hit those topics just a little bit biblically. What is our responsibility? What are we to do? And in understanding the supernatural tr- transformation of being born again, with the wheat and the tares, one th- uh, thing you need to understand that everybody was a tear in the church at one time. Uh, when you're born again, then you're considered a wheat. So that's the reason our hopes, and I know that might hurt some of his feelings, but you were not born a wheat in this parable. You have to be born again to be a wheat. Uh, in this parable. So, therefore, you don't want to pull up all the tares. Several reasons. The main reason being, if they receive the message, they might be born again and that they could be part of the harvest of the wheat. And so, as we're looking at this scripture and the churches, how we see in Matthew 13, the churches, is, it's like, wow, it's kind of a mess, isn't it? And you have a little leaven in the lump. You remember the parable. Uh, and so uh, then you got a grain of mustard seed, you know, mustard seed plant. And you got the birds of the air, which is the evil one comes and lights in its branches. So it shows us that the evil one's going to be present in the church some. is what that parable is showing us. So we're not supposed to be that surprised 
it's what the church looks like. This, this church that you're seeing now, according to these scriptures, is not something that's in its perfect state and form yet. If you will, it's more of a bus station to heaven. It's where people congregate, try to catch a bus. Some will catch it and some won't. But yet it's uh, to be more of a place, uh, a square, if you will, that people can come. And those of us that have found God rejoice, but then there's others find, uh, still looking for God. And what better place for them to find God than around people of God, right? So we really have to continually relook at this, our ideas of, because religious spirit in all of us um, rejects sin. And I know that we got scriptures that says you're not to tolerate sin. And the congregation, we've got, then I want to hit all those scriptures. How do you handle them? What do we uh, do with them? And then I, I, I do have a motive, hidden motive here, but I'll expose it. And that is how uh, my motive is to be in a church that has the power of Christ, like this book says. I really do have that motive. And if you're going to have the the power of Christ, you're going to have to be willing to live on the edge a little bit. Is that okay? You're going to have to be willing to be stretched, to live on the edge a little bit. To live on the edge, did you know, is not comfortable. It is not comfortable. So as we look at these, so we're going to go to the seven churches. We've got Matthew 13, and to me, the two best places to go to, to see what a church today will look like is Matthew 13. And the first seven churches of the book of Revelation. So now with that in mind, let's move right quickly. Uh, we're in the, as is in the days of Noah time period, seven churches continued. You can see at the bottom, Christum versus Christianity. This is the issue because you can be in one of these seven churches. And in these seven churches, part of the seven churches, part of the congregation, some are in Christendom and some are true Christians. Some have a form of, of, of uh, Christianity <clears throat> and some are true Christians. So that is a personal question we all have to continually ask ourselves. And, and to most Christians are trying to live life so they can convince others they're a Christian. Uh, it would be unto God that we would all would look at ourselves and test ourselves to see if we can convince ourselves, perhaps, if we're Christian. So we need to understand the deception and the difference in the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Now, to do that, we're going to see, and I've taken you through this a few weeks, a mixture creates confusion in the church. We see in, in Matthew 13, there's going to be a mixture at times and at places, seven churches. There's going to be a mixture. Mixture creates confusion. So therefore, we are to be at a place or an understanding or a stance that mixture is constantly trying to come in. And our stance is to be aware, oh, yeah, it's always trying to come in. It's been trying to come in uh, since the beginning. So that's part of our understanding of the lifestyle of the church. Why is the church not effective is my question. Now, the church does have some effectiveness. This very fact that we're sitting here is proof that the church has some effectiveness. Um, but if we look at the great harvest that's out there, uh, 
we're going to need a lot of effectiveness, right? Because we see the harvest is great. Sin is uh, just abounding. And uh, I'm so thankful unto God that I find myself today being born again, that I'm not being swept up in everything that's uh, of the world today. Because things that are in the world today are very, very intellectual. Uh, the deceptiveness is, is um, it's, a, it's a very intellectual plane uh, on how we got there, or if, if you can say that, or how we got here. Uh, so it is a, it's constantly coming in and it's using uh, understanding and reasoning as its main tool. Now we're going to get into the Patmos vision here right quickly and we're going to go over some scripture. Just follow with me. I'm just going to show some facts here of the scriptures and what it is saying. Now, here we see in this picture of the vision of Revelation uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, you see uh, John has this vision of Jesus and he stands there and he has his glory around his head, his hair, and it'll speak about his feet. And you'll also see in his right, his right hand, you see the seven stars there. And then also you'll see the seven candlesticks uh, that are around him. So these are symbols that are used as we're looking at the seven churches. Um, It'll get the seven stars. You'll, when you see the word stars, we'll read it here in just a second. That'll be the churches. And then the, the lampstands, uh, we see that it, it uh, signifies a light, right? A lampstand gives off, gives off light. So the seven churches will have seven lampstands. But there's some, uh, out of, uh, six of the seven churches, uh, Jesus has somewhat against them, he says. He'll point out some of their good things. Then he'll go on to say, but there's something that I have against you. Now, when we get into the things that he has against them, what we're looking at is he, he's saying there's a mixture has come in. There's a mixture coming in. Here's what the mixture is. Here's what it looks like. Then he says, you need to repent of these things. And then uh, after he says, you need to repent, then he says, okay, now here's the promise that I give to you if you repent, right? Now, the reason of these seven churches, it allows us to look at the state we're in, how we are to react. But keep in mind, this is about the revelation of Jesus himself. So as we see what Jesus has against some of these churches, it does show us the, the problem, but it also is a revelation of who he is. The reason the book of Revelation was written was so we could get more understanding of who he is. So there's more to understand than who he is than there is in what we're doing wrong. Not that what we're doing wrong is not to take note and repent of. But there's something greater than the knowledge of what we're doing wrong. And what's greater is it gives us a revelation of who he is. Now, the revelation of who he is is not necessarily saying, is not necessarily the opposite of what we're doing wrong. Because the promise that he gives for the repentance of these things sometimes do not have much in common. 
So he's pointing out what's wrong. And it kind of, let me say it this way, it gives Jesus an excuse when we repent for him to give us more of a revelation of who he is. Now, that revelation of who he is is equal unto the glory of God. The reason he's pointing out these things that are wrong is it gives Jesus something to say, so it gives us he gives us an excuse to repent of something so he can say, whoopee, yay, yay, now let me give you this part of my glory. And it's that part of his glory that causes a church to be a supernatural church. So if you look at repentance as something I'm just doing wrong instead of an opportunity to receive more of who he is, you're not quite getting the point. You're still in grammar grades and and you've done something bad. And, you, and Well, we used to get a whipping, but they don't no more. I, I guess you don't get a popsicle or something. But in 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 my day, you got a, you got a spanking. And so we tend to look at these things as, oh, no, God's going to give us a spanking. But Jesus is saying this is an opportunity for them to repent. And you see, you got it's 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 like deleting hard drive on a computer. You got to make room. You got to make space for new information. So repentance is deleting viruses, if you will, so that more information can come. So I don't want you to think that the repentance and what he's giving is equal unto what you're repenting of, because. If God was in business of trying to out-trade people, he'd go broke because he receives a little and gives a lot. If you, if you can hear, because he knows, this is the part of the revelation. He knows that as we get more of a revelation of who he is, then the, that, that means you're responsible to re receive the power of it. You can't receive the power of who he is and the revelation of who he is. And, and, and be responsible with it. Can somebody hear what I'm grasping to say? And I, I'm sure the Holy Spirit's given you more understanding than what I'm saying. So as we look at these scriptures, they are repenting of something. We want to look at it and take note on it when we need to own it. But then what we're looking for is the promise of that revelation because the book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the sin in the church. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what the reason he gave this was so that the church might be empowered to be effective. And I just don't believe, I believe the church today, we seem to have a lot more, um, we seem, we tend, our Bible study in, of Scripture, we seem to do pretty good. But the glory or the anointing or the power of the Scripture uh, in my life, I can say this, is lacking. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not happy with it. <laughs> I'm looking uh, for uh, the power and the, that comes with this revelation. So the way it comes, I promise you, I'm going to show you. Um, in the next two or three weeks, where as these things happen, there's there's this there's a portal. I'm going to show you. Is anybody interested in finding a portal? 
I think through Scripture I can show you uh, the portal uh, for you personally uh, under heaven. And I'm not just saying words here. A portal for the glory of God to be upon you and upon your life that this church would uh, get the good or the bad reputation of a supernatural church of this book and that the people that go there or pass through there uh, come out the other side with an anointing that they didn't have when they went in. That is, uh, is my prayer. Now, I've got this sneaking feeling that, that I'm going to get to see it. Now, there again, I've seen it just one time in a little small measure, how the glory of God could be in a congregation. And as I've said before, it's, see, it's not a matter of getting everything in your brain just right. It, we could do things wrong in that revival I was in, and uh, God still make good out of it. it. There wasn't a religious spirit within 5,000 miles of where we were because there wasn't a thing about us religious. We All religion dropped. You just couldn't wait to get through the doors because you ran into the presence of God. Many, 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 many times I'd walk in those doors and just cry. Nothing been said. You just walk in. And, and that's the reason I tend to not agree with those who says, well, God can't just be in the place. Well, he's a pretty big God, so I guess he can be about any place he wants to be. And uh, but I have I have experienced that, and you see, we as we see with these seven churches, um, you know, we always have this debate of separation church and state and all of this sort of stuff. But what I want you to do is to leave that secular argument and let's move in the spirit just a second. Um, it's often said, "Well, that's just political. We need to stay out of it." And I'm like. Something about that's not right. So, but just think about it. When something, let me give you the de definition of something being political. A, a, a political arena is where ideas are debated. That's, that's what political is. You've got different ideas and then they're debated. Pure and simple. You, do, you just went political. In other words, you're, everybody's got different policies and, and you uh, talk about them, argue them out or whatever. So to enter a political arena means that you're there so that your ideas can be heard. And so I can't, I mean, the Apostle Paul, he would go into these big amphitheaters, if you will, right? And then uh, Rome and the Greeks, and he would give... They were, that was a political arena because people could come there and give their ideas. So don't, don't see political or politics as something necessarily dirty. Just because dirty people use it, it's a platform in which humanity comes together, of believers, non-believers. Political is not a dirty word, is what I'm saying. Uh, political is the arena of the world that people come together and share ideas. And so as we see the church here in these seven churches, 
They've allowed the political ideas of the world to enter them under this debate of uh, what's God and what's not God. Does it come in through political arenas? Yes. But don't demonize uh, the political. It's, it's not to be demonized. It's to uh, j just uh, thank the Lord you have a political arena that you can speak in, you see. Because when you get into uh, some of these governments, you, you can't be political or you will be shot. So what we're looking at is when you try to silence the political, that's the reason freedom of speech is, is a big deal. Freedom of speech is what allows the political arena to, to, uh, to exist, right? Now, in a political arena uh, with homosexuality or any sin, we just we picked that one because it's spoken about so much. Uh, any, to be in a political arena, I believe that the people of God should carry such an anointing that we would not fear speaking in a political arena, right? But there again, now let me add, don't demonize it just because we don't know how to talk. Don't demonize it just because we don't have the anointing. Now, in a lot of political arenas, people have the anointing of the evil one. As Trevor's been teaching us, it's the battle of the gods, if you will. And it really is. So I just want us to get comfortable with uh, political is not bad. Political is opportunity. And political is seen as we are ambassadors in a foreign country. And we can be political. And we should be political. And God's called some people to be political, not necessarily everybody. But he has called some to speak in those arenas and we need to pray for them and not say, oh, you're, well, you know, all the cliches. We, don't, we just need to pray and understand that that's the arena and that's, it can be demonized, but it can also um, be Holy Spiritized, if you will, by the people of God. So let's look at these seven churches. Keep in mind, we're more, more of the revelation of truth, which is Jesus. And it starts off, uh, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, what thou sees and what is it, write it in a book. He says, you're going to see something. Then he says, you're going to write it in a, in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and Smyrna, unto Pergamon, unto Thyatira, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So see, here we see this is the vision. He sees Jesus and he hears these words. Then he, go, then he goes on to say, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and I turned and I saw, and I see it there, seven candlesticks. Now this is important. There again, as we move forward, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and the girdle, about the paps with a golden a girdle. His head and his hair were like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. So we know he was looking upon the Lord. The Lord was about to give him some revelation. He goes on to say, And his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. Uh, 
and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his uh, countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. I can say that as in when I was in that uh, revival with Jeff, there were times that the presence of everybody in the whole place just hit the floor. Now, I have seen that. And I don't know why we hit the floor. You just were too scared to stand or something. It wasn't like you got knocked, knocked over by the Spirit. It's just you, you, you just hit the floor. You just kind of kept your head covered as the Lord was doing whatever the Lord. I have actually experienced that. And I have never been the same since I experienced that. But I have seen that and been in that. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of what? Hell and of death. Now keep that in mind. Now watch this right here as a prophetic people. Verse 19. He says, write the things which thou hast seen. Now, that's past tense, right? So this is in, basically, thou hast seen would be up to this verse. Because then he says, and the things which are. Now, he gets into chapter 2. He gets into things which are, which is the, which is the seven churches. He said, then write the things which are. We'll do the seven churches, which is in the which are. And then he says, and write the things which shall be hereafter. So in... There's prophetically looking at scripture. Um, most scripture, I think probably all scripture, but I just say most because I can't see all, but will have a key that kind of unlocks the book. Right? Uh, what you see, thou hast seen which are things. Shall, he says, write down the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which will come. So as we start. Seeing uh, this, the things which are to come starts in chapter 4. Uh, so we know that the, uh, the things uh, thou hast seen would be up to, verse, up to this verse. Uh, the things which are, which starts in chapter 2. Things which shall be after actually starts in chapter 4, verse 1. And the hereafter uh, carries on out. So, now... Uh, then the last verse, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. You see that? And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, write these things which thou hast seen, which uh, seen are and hereafter. He's commanded to write that way, seen, which are. And the things which are thereafter. And I put the, that's basically the verses and the chapters. Then he goes on to say this. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches, which we'll get on to see 
the lampstands or the light. We'll get into it here in a minute. The messages to the seven churches have a three-dimensional application. Now, we're looking at this Scripture prophetically. So you look at Scripture and you look in Scripture. You don't make up what's in, but it comes by revelation. You can see just now it's easy to look at the book of Revelation historically over 2,000 years. It's easier to look in it from different angles, and I'll show that to you. Number one, it's local to actual churches. It was written in that day to actual churches. Number two, to all churches in all times is tested to discern the true spiritual state. So the seven churches is written to churches of all time. It's written to seven churches on one dimension, but it's also written to churches uh, that are in all times. Now, it's also written personal to exhort to him that hath an ear with a promise to him that overcometh. So he speaks about the churches, then it'll hit you as an individual. If you got a ear to hear. And what's really cool about this, it's uh, uh, the Lord always puts a promise in there. And so that's, it shows us the one part of Christ is he's always redeeming that that's lost or that that's broken or for not thinking just right. If you take great pride in, in, uh, in how you think, you've thought this way for 30 years, bless God, hadn't changed. Uh, I'm not too sure you're growing. Uh, because part of the uh, overcoming is we're in constant growth. I've, I've said this before, but I don't agree with myself a year ago in certain areas. It's because I've had to repent, and uh, uh, I, I just haven't uh, haven't known what it is. I'll, I'll even interject this. I uh, There's a lot of talk in the last years of the courts of heaven. Anybody heard of that terminology, courts of heaven? And um, when it first came out, I was... Uh, I guess the first few weeks I was actually against it. And then the, then the Holy Spirit spoke to, to me and told me not to touch it. I think I told Pastor Steve that. We were talking about it, and I said, well, I'm in a kind of a pickle. The Holy Spirit told me not to touch it. And, uh, and I knew that was the Holy Spirit, but I, I was in disagreement with the Holy Spirit, but yet I, I heeded. And, uh, and, uh, then later on, he told me to I needed to learn from my friends. I could trust them with it. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. So I have some friends even in this congregation that are uh, well-gifted. And it's a, it's, if you've never heard of it, it's more of a type of intercession. And uh, I did not receive the revelation of that. It's just a zero. Uh, but my love and trust in my brothers in Christ and the Holy Spirit in my brothers and sisters in Christ, I trust him with my life. What he actually said was, Alan, stand down. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> I was trying to soften my blow, but there, there you have it. So I have, but, but still there's a revelation there of we trust each other. And the Holy Spirit uh, spoke to me on that account. And I'm learning I'm much more comfortable with the idea now than I've ever been because of my friends and I trust them. And, uh, uh, and there again, it's like I said, the one thing that I've learned, it's a type of intercession. Uh, it's taking intercession to another level with better understanding. And I'm getting all that. And, uh, but I'm not getting it by revelation. I'm having to learn every step along the way. I'd say, Lord, could you not give me a quick download? And, you know, some things he does and a lot of things he doesn't. 
And it is not that we're to believe that it's relaxing to know that I don't have, that I can trust the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. That is so relaxing. I, I don't have to have that revelation. And to be honest with you, I've got enough jobs. I don't, I don't need to go in some courts or something, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, uh, but I'm also thankful for those that's got that revelation because it also means they have the anointing for it. And uh, so we, we have to really be careful, but it is really nice that we can trust each other and trust the Holy Spirit in each other is God does what he does. Moving on. Pro, uh, prophetic, uh, they're also prophetic as unveiling seven phases of the spiritual history of the church. And that's the part I'm saying. We can look at these seven churches historically over the last 2,000 years, how the churches went through these phases. Now, I'm going to try to overlay them, give it a vertical. That's It's got a horizontal view. But as a prophetic people, we got to go more vertical with it as we start uh, un unveiling how this thing uh, works. Now, Jesus calls the church. Here's what he says. He calls us, us the light of the world. In Revelation, the candlestick, he says. Uh, the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. The apostle Paul calls it the pillar and ground of truth. Do you see that? Now, that's important as a church that we walk in that, that we are the pillar and the grounding of, of, of truth. We're also to be the salt of the earth. It means that we have a preserving factor. If we're losing our country, it's because of salt is probably losing its saltiness. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't, uh, but doesn't necessarily say that we have to be the majority. Do you see that? We, in other words, I don't, we don't necessarily have to win it by majority vote, but we have such a great presence of the glory and the anointing of God we can still preserve. Now, that's where the church needs to be looking at right now. I don't think, evidently, we don't have enough saltiness. If we're going to be a minority, which we're walking into, don't despair, just up your salt. Right? Up your saltiness. Because our anointing, can be, uh, and you can. I'd rather have two people out of ten with the anointing is probably the majority, which would be six out of ten. But and and you say, well, why why is it that way? It's it's the difference of the times. It's 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 the, as you'll see in the seven churches. It's the different application of the church and the time we're living in. And so, therefore, the application of where is the church today, the fact is we might uh, lose some numbers, but we can grow in saltiness and anointing. So, therefore, that means that the church or the, or the end times, the latter days, is to be saltier than uh, 500 years prior, saltiness meaning anointing power of the Spirit of God. Are, are you ready for that? So don't, we're not necessarily trying to sit around to win the votes, even though I want to do that too. But that's not our, that's not our trump card. Our trump card is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I'm looking across our congregation and those that are online. And my quest is, uh, Lord, make us saltier to the earth. Increase our anointing to super, this, 
The supernaturalness of God's believers on the earth today will get more attention than any arguments you can have in the political arena, even though I think we need to speak there. And it, it, we kind of always have to default to the political arena because we like anointing. And I just told you the truth. And it would be that people of the world would seek out this place. You couldn't get in the parking lot because they heard that they could run into God here. Now that has to be done on an individual basis. All right? Number one, be sure you're wheat. The next thing we're looking to do is to up our game. Uh, I talked to a guy this past week, bought a particular prop, piece of property at a particular place, and he called me and I talked to him and he said, uh, do you think it's all right that I bought that? And I said, well, uh, you got to be sure it's the will of God. He said, well, I think it is. And I said, okay, if you determine that it's the will of God for you to buy this piece of property here, then the next thing is you got to understand God's heart. Upon this, that statement, God's requiring more of you in your life. I said, because if you own that, your life's in danger. He said, hmm, didn't sound quite as enticing. <laughs> I said, well, you already told me, though, that God told you to do it, so you got to do it. I'm just saying, if you do it, God's going to require more of you. And that's just true. Salvation's free. Everything else costs you everything you got. And for us to walk into this greater salt and this greater anointing, we've got to understand this time next year, we do not want to be sitting here saying, well, I'm the same way as I was last year. Bless God. Right? That's not where we want to be. Now, let's move on here. Why are there only seven churches? Well, there were not even the best known churches in Asia. They were chosen by the Lord because they represented conditions of the church down through history and from its beginning to the end, which we're going to look at briefly. Every church will fit into one of these examples. Seven is the number of completeness. The, these letters are the Lord's preview. Now watch this, of the church throughout its history is it moves through various stages of development. We're going to look at that. We must never forget, now watch this, that all of Revelation was written for these seven churches. Each is expected to know and understand the whole book. Can anybody say amen? Stop avoiding the book. One of the first things we learn is that Jesus was expecting these churches to know these writings. Totally expected. These churches are called lampstands or what? Light bearers. So the light bearer there, the lampstand there, is a symbol of a supernatural anointing. Now here's the question I have for us as a church. We might have a light, a lampstand, but is it even burning, number one? Number two, how bright is it? In other words, what we're to be known for is we carry the light to the world. That's what a lampstand is. We carry, we carry the light. Now, let's go on right quickly. It is the business of the church to tell the world. Now, each letter is addressed to the church, uh, to the angel of the church. The word angel appears many times in the book outside these seven letters, and in every case it refers to a heavenly being. So here, now the book of, of 
some people have problem with people that can see angels and all this stuff. Well, if you if, if you got a problem with it, you need to catch up on the book of Revelation. Is all is all I can tell you. And 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 so the word angel appears many times, but it's also in these seven letters. Now let's look at what they do. It suggests here that each church has a heavenly being responsible for guiding the human leadership of each church. And so I brought this. I've said this a couple of weeks back that a New Life Church has an angel over it. each every church that that has a lampstand has an angel assigned to it. Some people have a problem with that. Um, how many people believe you have a guardian angel? I mean, I do, but pretty much everybody does. Well, if you believe you can have a guardian angel, why would you have problems with believing that the church has got an angel? Right? So you understand that we don't worship angels here, but we understand that angels give us influence. And so we're influenced by the Holy Spirit and by an angel that's over this church. It's been from those that can see angels. Um, there's a friend of mine, he's actually in the congregation, told me years ago when he continually sees it, there's a big angel, he says, it stands over here in this corner. Sees him all the time, I'll, I'll see him. Still, yep, still right there. Said, reaches up to the ceiling. And uh, do I, do I, did anybody have a witness of that when I said that? Anybody? Okay, all right. Uh, would anybody like to see that big angel over Okay, that's, that's important too. Uh, but he said he stands over there. I, I mean, I really trust this guy. He doesn't make up stuff. He doesn't have to. And uh, so just keep that in mind if anybody gets a, uh, if he happens to show his hand, somebody hollers so I can look. Uh, so, but each church has a, an, an angel. And this was, here's what I want it, it is not uncommon. When people start criticizing a church, and I'm understanding you can criticize this church, it's fine, but you need to know our, what, we're, what runs the engine here. What runs the engine here is we're very aware that there's a, an angel of this church, and we are uh, praying that that uh, is, is the Lord. As you see here, the Lord can actually give the, the angel instruction to bring to us here. And And... Of course, I believe that angel works in tandem with the Holy Spirit of God. And so, there, therefore, as we get together, there's a lot of churches doing a lot more than we're doing. I mean, just a whole lot more stuff than, than what we're doing. Uh, here, we've never been, we're not about numbers. We're about presence. We're, we're not about growing a big something in the community. There's a lot of churches that can do those things. That's as... As we're feeling instructed by the angel and the Holy Spirit, is this is to be a place we're constantly struggling, as elementary as we are, for the presence of God in this place, uh, so that uh, the presence of God can be here in His supernatural power. And the more we embrace that, the harder we get hit, even through personal criticism. Well, Alan, now, and and it's not. I understand if you're sitting there and say, "Well, the." If y'all would just do this, or if you would, I, I get all that because I've been that person. I get all that, but I'm just letting you know that what we're doing is if you think we need to be doing something, give it to an elder, and I promise you we'll look at it. But but try not to grab an attitude too much and definitely don't get into uh, coercion and stuff, trying to swing something this way or that way or trying to gain um, 
gain position or gain. It's not necessary here because we're so bent on the presence of God. Now, we don't feel like we've accomplished it that good. But we've we've had a few healings or two and some salvations and 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 uh, what we want to be known for is that you as a believer grow in Christ and you leave from here with a greater anointing and understanding. Uh, I said uh, last week, I'll say it this week, um, Trevor put together some scripture in a book. It's out in the foyer. It's free. I mentioned that last week and there was all gone for And so there's 30 or 40 more back there. Anybody would like to pick up one of, of how we try to Trevor took the scriptures and put together a way it, it appeared that a church should operate. Uh, when now, here, now get this: when Jesus is in charge of the church, okay. So what we're trying to be guilty of is letting Jesus be in charge of this church. That's that's what we're after. We're not after the. Uh, I mean, we well, I can tell you a hundred things that we probably should be doing or could do, and and I we personally believe that. As the, as the Lord adds those things to us, we'll do it. But we've also tried to do things in our own strength and didn't. It's just, come on, preacher. It just doesn't go well. So we're content with where we are. Well, we're content in following Christ, even though we're not content and we want more of the presence of God and the power of Christ. Because when you have that, things are added into the church and you just it just happens. It, it just happened. So just, I don't know how did I get off on all this, but nonetheless, this, this is what is the, we're under this idea here as leaders and as elders. We are seeking the presence of God, and we want to have a place that you can come to if you want to feel the presence of God, if you need prayer or if you need salvation for friends or just anything. anything. We, it's our prayer that you can come through the doors and we're not in here trying to persuade you of anything because our goal is that the Holy Ghost of God is in this place and it'll persuade you of whatever your persuasion needs to be. So that, that, that's our idea. So we're going to pick up here again next week on these angels. Uh, it goes on to say, this cannot be a man in leadership as the church's leadership is always in the plural elders and pastors. Uh, some people just tried to make it that angel's a preacher or something. You can, there's no way you can do that. And so there, are, there is an actual angel over this church, as there are other churches. I think there's some churches that do not even have a lampstand. Uh, I fear some have lost their lampstand. Um, and so anyway, we want to look at those things as, as we move forward. If you're interested in knowing uh, how we behave as a church in this day that we're living, have a goal. And I think I can show you, show it to you, that how that there is a portal available to us as these seven churches repent. There's an anointing that comes, and that the uh, the gospel that we take can not only uh, be words of wisdom, but it would have great anointing and power. Amen. Amen. So there you go. That's uh, probably didn't make you all shout, but. <laughs> There's the truth as I see it. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you, and I thank you for this day that you've made. I pray, Lord, if there's anything that I've said that is outside of your word, not true, that it just fall to the ground. If there's anything that I've said that's of you, O oh God, it's our prayer, that it be quickened to our hearts. Lord, I've made a confession that we're looking for more of your presence. Yes, 
more of your power, more of your anointing. Dear God, let us be peculiar people for the right reasons and not just out of stupidity. Let it be for anointing reasons. Let us walk in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit that would affect those that we come in contact with. I pray for such an anointing here that the building will glow at night as you drive up and down uh, 64, that there'll be an evident uh, glowing of the anointing of your presence. I know, Lord Jesus, that that's asking for a lot, but dear God, you if it's too small and I can do it, it wouldn't be you. So, Lord Jesus, come. Let your power be felt in this place. Yes, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.